The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Um, today's scripture is John 7, 19 through 52. If you're reading from the Bibles, it's 1071 is the page number. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you were all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are, going, they are trying to kill? Here he is, publicly speaking, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not come yet. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, When the Messiah comes, he will perform more signs than, than this man. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of the living water will flow within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked him, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob knows nothing of the law. There is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, said, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and he will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. 
good friend of mine. This is Pastor Scott Encaro. He pastors the Foundry Church, which is over off of Riverside Park, just on the other side of the bay from us. Um, and Scott's been a good friend of mine um, for nearly the last 10 years. And I'm grateful that we've had a chance to plant churches together at the same time in the same generation in Baltimore, because a lot of times um, it's easy to feel alone. And God's been doing a great work in and through the Foundry Church. And it's an honor for me to have him teach here this morning. And so I'm, I'm grateful that he has somebody covering his church, but I'm glad that he's with us. And so you guys welcome Pastor Scott to the stage for us today. I know it's it's not customary for like a guest to like talk trash or anything like that, you know. So it, it's not customary for me to get up here and be like, "Well, your pastor's a jerk" um, or anything like that. You're you're used to pleasantry, and you're used to. Um, someone saying nice, something nice about you when they come and speak at your church. So I hope that when I say what I'm about to say that you don't just listen to it as greetings and white noise. Like, genuinely, we love you. You're, you're like our older sister church that we've like looked up to from afar, like, across, like a mile that way. Um, but like for a decade, like... I moved to, to, to Annapolis in 2010 to plant a church with a team intending to be sent out. We knew God was stirring our affections towards Baltimore, but I'll be honest with you, I was scared. And I wasn't scared because I'd been watching too much mainstream media coverage about Baltimore. I was scared because, honestly, I loved this city enough that I didn't want to move here and do something stupid that was actually harmful to Baltimore. And who's to say I haven't done that along the way? But... Um, so I sent this email one day after I was like strolling through Fells Point and I saw a vinyl banner because I know church planting and I saw the vinyl banner and I'm like, that's got to be a church because churches, mobile churches in particular, advertise with vinyl banners. And so I send the email and I send a lot of those kinds of emails over the years before I moved into the city. Hey, I want to learn from you. Please tell me I shouldn't come to Baltimore if I in fact should not come to Baltimore. And a lot of those didn't even get responded to, right? Those are, those are still sitting in someone's inboxes, right? Um, but your pastor responded to that email, sat with me, and for that first hour we were in a room together, made me feel like I was the only thing going on. And, um, and the words that were said in that room I still carry with me. Um, because your pastor said, hey, if you can come here and represent Jesus well, move in right beside us. And that spirit of open-handedness, that spirit of partnership, that spirit of we just want to see the gospel flourish in this city is something that I hope is said of the Foundry Church but we've learned it, and we've learned that DNA from the things that we've seen in you. And so, so from a mile that way, um, we're just grateful for you. And, and I hope that you... So maybe some of you have been here like four months or two weeks, or this might be your first Sunday, and you're like, I don't know if I'm coming back. It's a guest speaker. And, uh, but but just, you just need to know that if, if you've given like a buck to the cause of Christ through the Gallery Church or you've, you're sweating it out for um, the gospel through this community, you don't often see the impact that you have. Um, I think in, in a city like ours, it's easy to think that we're just kind of taking a scoop of water out of the harbor and like wondering, did we make any difference 
here today, but, but you are seen. I see you. Um, I appreciate you. I learn from you. You encourage me. You challenge me. And I'm grateful that you exist. Um, and, and not just that you exist, but that the, the ways in which you thrive. Uh, invite me and challenge me. And so, um, it's, like I said, like, it's customary that people say nice things about you when they come to speak at your church. Please don't receive that as white noise. Um, that's about as heartfelt as I get, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and you don't know me, so you don't know that that's true. You'll have to ask a friend that knows me. Um, we're in John 7. Uh, there was a long narrative that was just read. And if I had to phrase this in three words, I would say um, that we're a three-word summary. is like, well, that escalated quickly, right? Like, that escalated quickly um, because if you remember from last week, this, this passage last week was part of uh, the, the text. And, and what's going on is this Feast of Tabernacles in, in the city of Jerusalem. Oh, and, and what's happening here is Jesus doesn't even want to go at first. Right? There's a big festival. It's the last of the big festivals. Our sister told us last week it's like Thanksgiving, only it's like eight days long, kind of demonstrating to my family of origin that we don't know how to party. We don't know how to throw parties. And maybe your uh, Western eyes are kind of the same way. Like, you don't know how to throw parties like these people know how to throw parties. And so this is an eight-day party um, commemorating some things that God has done in the past. Now, Jesus doesn't even want to go because at the end of John 6... Uh, the crowd scatters. People have moved from like being a fan of his to sort of being like, this dude's got some crazy ideas, so he's not going to go. And the brothers decide to go. And then he decides he's going to go, but he's going to go incognito. He's just going to lay low. He's going to be the guy at the party kind of hanging on the wall with his hands in his pockets, right? And then Jesus just can't help himself, right? This is what we find last week. We got into about midway through the festival, and now Jesus is teaching in the temple courts and sharing, and people are having feelings about that, right? That's, uh, that's where we are. It escalates quickly. So we get to the final day. We, get, we see in this text, like days five, six, seven, and when we get to sort of the penultimate piece of this Feast of Tabernacles, where people are laying, you know, they, they come to the city, and they stay in booths to remember, kind of like mobile huts, like the, the one that you see here, sort of to commemorate the time where they were wandering, and God provided. And then um, another thing they do every day as part of this feast is to draw water. And part of that water draw is a reference to Exodus 17, when God has provided water out of the rock. And, we, and on the final day of this festival, the, the kind of the crescendo of this feast, you know, you, you take that water draw, you do a little bit of walking around, and you take it to the temple, and you pour it out, and people are, 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 are chanting like messianic, you know, uh, essentially promises from the Old Testament, proof that like living water, the, the living water of God is going to be provided in the Messiah. These are the chants. Things like Isaiah 55, chapter 1. This, this last little walk, this last little leg, isn't just to say that like God is going to provide someday, you know, but, this is, but, but the way that God is going to provide is in this, the streams of living water. And, and at this part of the ceremony, Jesus, in sort of the, this is a dated reference, but in sort of that Kanye, Taylor Swift, like VMA thing, like where there's an interruption of the speech, that's what Jesus kind of does, right? Here it is. 
All of this thing is pointing to living water, uh, what the Messiah is going to do. Hello, he's right here. The guy that didn't even want to go to the party, and then the guy that's going to be like, oh, I don't know, I'm just going to hang and see what I see, is now like, I'm the party. It's about me. Right? The crescendo of this passage, we'll get to everyone's feelings in just a minute, is what John said in John 7, 37 and 38. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Okay? And, and so, so Jesus is saying all these Old Testament references, and, and the Old Testament's chock full of them, to like streams of living water, like I'm that. I'm not the guy talking about that. I'm not the representative who knows a guy who knows a guy who's that. That's me. That's me. So if you can understand maybe a little bit better now why the feelings aren't exactly neutral about Jesus in the text. Because the crescendo of the festival has been interrupted with Jesus' bold declaration. Jesus is not calling himself a teacher or a prophet. He's saying, hey, passages like Isaiah 58.11, Joel 3.18, Zechariah 14, um, Ezekiel 47, like all of these things that sort of point to the Messiah and the work of God being living water, I'm that. I'm that. Right? In John chapter 4, you might recall, Jesus has an interaction with a woman at the well, and he, he gives sort of this, they, they get into this conversation about living water and the work of the Messiah, and, and you can kind of see, and this is the whole motif of the temple. It's said in verse 38 and 39, right, that what Jesus is actually even pointing to, just an even step further, is, is that the idiom of the temple worship, the setting of this ritual, the source, the source of salvation, it's going to not just be a physical building, it, it's going to be planted in us. Streams of living water. So this creates, again, a lot of reaction about Jesus. Because he doesn't claim to be a good guy, he doesn't claim to be a good teacher, he doesn't claim to be a political leader, he doesn't claim to be the life, uh, he claims to be the life of the party, essentially. <laughs> um, right? And, and I think, when we just want to start right here with our, our, our big idea, if you remember nothing else about the crowd's reaction, if you remember there's, there's a long text in the middle of John at a party where Jesus goes from, I'm not going, to I'm going to do this, to pumping the fists, proverbially speaking, it, it, it's this idea that Jesus has come to be living water. The claim, I am living water. If you, and and you, you think about this, and you know this through your water bills, right? Baltimore City residents. You know this through your water bills, right? There's a lot of effort and a lot of energy and a lot of need to protect the water source, right? Um, so when it goes very, very poorly, like in Flint, Michigan, it's injustice, right? 
right? Protecting the water source of anyone who's responsible for the thriving of a civilization or humanity is key. These are desert people, right? These are people that live in a place where there's, you know, there's seasons of that. So protecting the source of living water is an analogy that they get because they get, right, that, that you have to have good well, right? There has to, the extremes of living water isn't just, well, here, drink this water that's been sitting, you know, and smelly by the side of, like, it's, it's puddle water, but it'll get the job done. Living water is copious. It doesn't come and go. You don't have to worry about moderation. You don't have to worry about conservation because it's alive and it's filling. This is analogy that, that is so ripe in the Old Testament and is so clear about what it means for the Messiah to do the work of the Messiah, to do his work, Christ is offering himself, the water supply, the overflowing of this. This says something about the nature of faith, doesn't it? Because the nature of, like, I'm going to take a drink. Someone asked me if this was indeed water earlier. It is. And... Uh, and uh, now I just had a nice, refreshing, cold drink of water. You might still be thirsty. You see, because me drinking this water doesn't quench your thirst, the essence of what Jesus is saying is living water is that living water is to be experienced. You have to experience living water. I, I, I can't drink the water for you. You have to receive it. You have to experience it. Some of us in church circles, we tend to worship experiences. We chase experiences. Or maybe there's been seasons of times where we kind of jump from church to church looking for experiences. I, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the, the encountering of living, thirsting water. In other words, you have to, you have to receive Jesus for yourself. It's, it's not something I can wish for you. I can wish it for you, but I can't, I can't help you experience it. Um, with my own experience. This points to, right, this whole analogy of thirst then is one that we can relate to. We've been thirsty. Every one of us has likely been thirsty at some point in time. And if you've ever known something like this about thirst, the nature of thirst is that we oftentimes uh, will settle for things that don't actually quench our thirst but sort of give the appearance of liquid. They look liquidy and they look cool. They look cool as in cold, not cool as in hip, right? Um, and we, we sort of chase them and we settle for them. This is why Chesterton said, the man knocking at the door of the brothel is looking for God, right? That, that we're looking for something in life that will quench our thirst and we will settle for lots of different ways to sort of live under the belief that we're getting it. But most of those things still leave us thirsty and wanting, right? This is why, this is why Rockefeller, I think it was Rockefeller, not Carnegie, who said, when someone said, how much, how much money is enough? And he said, one, one more dollar, just a dollar more, right? Because it's the admission that, like, we're never quite there. We're never, we're settling, you know, we settle for lesser ways of quenching thirst. We're never quite. We're never quite satisfied. So this, this analogy of living water is one for us to kind of wrap our head around today as we're considering Jesus, whether we're considering Jesus for the first time, 
whether we're considering Jesus for ourselves versus the person that we came here with today who really desperately wants us to experience Jesus, or whether or not we've been at this for a while, we're going to talk about this in a minute, how there's, there's lots of people in this crowd who have some ideas about the Messiah and how things should go and are so busy projecting those things onto Jesus that they miss living water in front of them. Right? This is more common in churches than we'd like to admit. I call it churchianity. Right? So what is Christianity ultimately? Is it, is it the series of right doctrines? Is it wonderful feelings? Is it a social vision for the world? Is it a pattern of ethical behavior or upright living? Um, it, it, yes, it has those things. But ultimately, in some, it's living water, quenching our thirst, directing our appetites differently. I want to say this really quick uh, to those of us who, this is verse 37 and 38, I'll go back to it for a minute. Um, Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive, right? This, again, the scandalous claim of this is not just that you're going to have to go to a temple and dump out the water at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, but like living water is going to live in you. Like that's, that's a scandalous claim uh, for, for a first century Jew to receive. But it speaks to a posture um, that I think is important for us who are followers of Jesus and have been at this whole, a while to, to get. Right? The whole essence of the Exodus 17 passage is that everyone around is thirsty. And, and it's when Moses you know, strikes the rock to the stat that the, the, the refreshment is provided. Um, I like the analogy, and I think it's good, of if living water is flowing through us as followers of Jesus, that, that ultimately, if we think about sort of our role, it's to sort of be a living well. And I think about some of the people I know who probably are more of a drain. <laughs> like, they're, they, they say they have living water, but they're kind of more of a drain. Um, this is a good reminder to me. I, I've had the kind of week... Um, where the needs around me are so many and the posture of the people who are hurting is so hurting that it takes a great deal of emotional energy just to care for people, right? You get some people like that in your life right now? The beautiful thing about living water is that, like, it's this great reminder that, like, hey, if I turn the faucet on, things will, you know, I, I can hand out a cup of water, then I can go back to that faucet. It's a great analogy for me as I consider and think through what my role is to be a, a source of life to people around me in Baltimore. Right? That, that my job is, is not, like, like as, I hand, as, I, as I aim to be refreshing to other people, I have to continue to receive fresh water, right? That, that we have to put ourselves in a position, those of us who are trying to, to do good here, to be a source of light here, to remember that it's the work of the Spirit in us, not just all the good things we do and all the ways in which we approximate ourselves to hurting people, 
that are going to bring resolution, we've got to point them to that living water, not because I will just burn out. Like, I get tired, I get weary. I want to throw my hands up in the air and go, it's no use. Why even care anymore? We've talked a lot about those three verses in the, mid, in the middle of this passage. I want to take a minute and talk about all of the crowd reactions. And I said this earlier, I kind of buried the lead a little bit, that one of the tensions of a passage like this is that you read it and you go, man, these people are idiots. <laughs> like, how do they not get this? Um, I don't know if you've ever been in charge of throwing a party or leading a ceremony, and like someone has usurped it with their own agenda, I don't tend to think of those people favorably. Like, I don't. I, I tend to be like, dude, I've spent like months prepping this, but let, yeah, let's make it about you. Yeah, yeah, let's do the thing. It's, I'm cynical, I guess. I don't know. Like, uh, but that's, that's just a reality, right? If, if these are folks that have been planning and preparing and bringing this festival to bear, it does chafe a little bit when someone's like, especially the guy that's like, I'm not going. I'm going to hang out. No, never mind. It's about me. I'm living water. Steps up. We got a lot of feelings about Jesus in this passage, and none of them are moderate. There, no one's like, I don't know. He's cool, I guess. Which is interesting, because some of you in this room might be like, I don't know, like Jesus had some good things to say. I'm not sure he is who he says he is, but if you have a moderate reaction to Jesus, I would invite you to keep reading through the Gospel of John. Um, because the reaction of these folks, which to us seems foolish, is rooted in some deep-seated expectations of what the Messiah is going to do for them. Okay? we got a couple people that we're going to mention here, and you can scan back through the verses. Uh, it was read very clearly, and you can see the different chatter about it. But the, let me just identify them really quickly. Because these folks, remind, it's a good reminder that living water um, often exposes the broken wells and the, the broken cisterns that we're actually trusting in. I said that earlier. Um, but we see it in these folks. Um, and they all would claim to be fairly pious and spiritual. Remember, they're there at a religious festival. Right? Who do we have here? We've got, first of all, we've got the Judeans and the Galileans. Uh, some of this dates back to the week before, like places like verse 12, where um, you've got some chatter, people saying, he's a good guy, he's a good man. Um, other people are going, no, 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 he's a deceiver. Um, but no one's saying anything publicly about him because of the fear of the leaders. What do the leaders want? Well, the leaders want their political kingdom um, to, to kind of fit and they're willing to make the Feast of Tabernacles fit into sort of the political ideologies of their time. Um, and, and, and they want a Messiah that's going to like swing swords, rally armies, not a, not a Messiah that like at the end of John 6 is like, eat my flesh and blood. Like not one that they have to submit to. They want one that they can like, they're going in, they're going in with like, like swords blazing with to topple Rome. And this is, the, this is verse 19 and 20 when, when they're willing, they're very chafed about something Jesus did 18 months prior in John chapter 5. They're very upset about it. And Jesus is like, you, the thing you're accusing me of, right, which is manipulating the law to my benefit, is the very thing here in this example you do. Like, pay attention. <laughs> Right? So we've got that crowd who's trying to sort of 
fit Jesus into the box of like the political ideology Messiah. We've got the crowd. The crowd has a couple different feelings, right? Well, you see them in verse 25. When Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly, you've got people in the crowd that are like, isn't the guy that, this is, this is the guy that they're trying to kill? Other people are going, we, we don't, like, we know where this guy comes from. Um, in other words, they, they think that they know where he's come from. We, they, they, have, they, have some, they have some warm feelings, but they... But they're, not, they're just curious, and they're seeking, and they're unsure. We, we can look down again and see them again kind of interact. They, they, they ask questions about the scattering and the diaspora. They're intrigued by Jesus, but they're not sure what to do next. We've got the Pharisees, our friends the Pharisees in verse 32, who hear the crowd whispering things um, and immediately want him arrested, right? Because anything like this upsets their power. Some of you have maybe sat under power, you've been under power before, that's been oppressive, and one of the things you know about people who are in power is that they will, they will contort a lot of things they need to contort to remain in power. Like, and so if we got to take the Feast of Tabernacles and co-opt it, if we've got to take some of the teaching in the temple courts and manipulate it in a way that sort of suits our sensibilities, um, they're even willing, I mean, they're, they're going so far when they go down at the end of the passage, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here yet, but like they're even saying things that, like, that scripturally aren't true when they're like, prophets don't come from Galilee. Uh, yeah, they do, Jonah, Hosea, Jesus. They do. It's not true. But, but they'll manipulate and contort just to kind of cling to the thing. And then there's the temple guards. Interesting thing about the temple guards, verse 45. The temple guards went back to the chief priests and to the Pharisees and said, why didn't you bring him in? Verse 46, the temple guards say, no one ever spoke the way this man does. Now, the temple guards have got a sense of power. They're, they're like bouncers, mob enforcers, security guards, all rolled into one. But what you need to know about the temple guards is whether it's passive or active, they hear a lot of teaching. They've seen a lot of crowds. They've heard a lot of teaching. If, like, you know, if, it, if you know someone that like, works shows at like the Hippodrome or at Ram's Head that's like, heard all of the bands come through and has got all the stories about who does really weird things and who's a lot nicer than they appear to be and like this would be the kind of dudes these guys are they've heard a lot of teaching they've seen a thing or two and they're so moved by the words that he's saying like they're though they have the power to arrest though they're getting the orders to shut it down like they're willing to like sort of bucket because they're so intrigued by what Jesus is saying. Like I said, there's no neutral reactions to Jesus in this passage. There's no like, I don't know, he's a good guy that had some good things to say. I don't know. I don't know where you see yourself in this passage, right? Perhaps you are the Judeans and the Galileans who you're trying to fit Jesus into sort of the box of what does it mean to live here for a little bit have a good life in Baltimore without your car getting broken into, and then you're going to head on your way to the next thing. 
and you're just sort of waiting out. Like, I got 18 more months till I'm on to the next thing, and I'm already just then thinking about what life's going to look like over there, right? So how do, I, how do I make Jesus fit neatly and tidily in these 18 months? Like, make me feel good. Make me feel at peace here. Some of you are maybe like the crowd where you're just like, I don't know, I've heard this and I've heard this and I've heard this and I've heard this and I don't know. I just don't know. Maybe you're like the Pharisees. Like that's, that was kind of me. Even though I didn't grow up in church, I grew up as like a rule follower. Like, so just sort of, there's always sort of this inner self-righteous jerk that's like, these are the rules. <laughs> and I don't like it when the rules don't get followed. Right? And so, so for you, maybe grace is a really difficult thing to receive without layering on some shame or guilt to go in. Grace is scandalous to you. Or, or maybe you're like the temple guards. Man, it just, Jesus, you've never heard anything like Jesus, and you're just not really sure what to do next. I, I invite you to see yourself in the reactions of the crowd this morning. Um, because here's, again, here's the thing. Like, the, the passage starts with this crowd worked up over something that happened 18 months ago. And, I, and, I, and as I've walked with Jesus for some time, one of the things I've, I've, I've realized is that a lot of times when, I, when I'm riding on something that happened actually 18 months ago, Christ has offered living water but I'm living in July of 2018. The, the God thing that happened or the, the question that I had, like living water is like right now, March 8th, 2020, what does God want to do in your story today? Do you need to be refreshed? Does water need to cleanse? You know, I, just as I can't drink the water and you be refreshed, like a conversation I'm having with my preteen, is like the fact that you stand in proximity to the shower <laughs> doesn't mean you took a shower. The water must contact the skin. Soap meets it, and a beautiful thing happens. The preteen smell dissipates temporarily. You'll need to do it again tomorrow. This is a process that we'll aim to repeat. It has to be experienced. Quick story, then we'll talk about Nicodemus. I went to Mexico, 2005, leading student ministry. And when you lead a student ministry, you're doing a construction project in Mexico, and you are the pastiest of pasty white guys, and you have no construction experience, it's imperative that you surround yourself with a fine team of folks like yourself that, that know, um, that have the endurance to be able to be out and about and have some construction know-how. And so I had assembled a crew, and there's one guy I brought with me. Always had a guy like this on a trip that's like a linebacker, you know, and he's got a big hat on, and he's, he's got like a backpack with, you know, utilities of all kinds and tools I've never heard of. And I had that guy with me. We had a nurse on the trip reminding us constantly, sunblock and water, and water and sunblock, and sunblock and water, and you, you invite me to put sunblock on, I'm like, hey, it's been 30 minutes, because I don't want to burn. Like, the sun and I aren't friends. Uh, 
And, and, uh, and, and I was listening because I wanted to lead by example. So every time I was kind of getting into a project, it, it felt like we had to take a break for water. You see where this is going, right? Because Mr. Utility Backpack, Mr. Batman, just, just blew through those water breaks. He blew through the water breaks. He, he just, and, and I, I kind of didn't notice because I was caring for the children because I thought adults should do adult things like pay attention to themselves. So the kids are taking water breaks and, and Batman is up on the roof of our, you know, dwelling that we're building, like heat barreling down in the heat of the day, doing his thing. Hey man, you got to take a break. No, I'm good, I'm good. Doing that kind of thing. You know where the story's going, right? By God's grace, he wasn't on the roof when he went down. Because big, burly guys with utility backpacks full of tools still need living water, right? We have to experience and receive this. This was, it was so, such a good challenge to me. I, I say that sort of in a joking way so that like, you know, we're kind of making a character out of this guy, but I've been him so many times in, in, in my life, so many times in my ministry, so many times as, as a dad, as a friend, where I'm just so busy being about the business of the thing that I forget that I need to receive living water. May you receive living water today. The passage closes with our friend Nicodemus, who has heard the most famous, famous line of scripture in the gospel of John. Like Jesus brought the A game in the middle of the night and it didn't end with like acceptance and baptism and a big party. It walks away, right? The, the, the exchange in John 3 walks away with sort of the uncertainty of what happened to this guy who's part of the religious elite that won't meet Jesus by day because of what it costs his reputation. Here we go. Verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone earlier and was one of their own number, being the, 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 the Pharisee, the religious order, or the Sanhedrin, you know, the religious elite, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing. And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find, a, you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. It's sort of the equivalent of our modern uh, conversations about anything that's not neutral, right? right? I say something rational, shut up! <laughs> are you from Galilee too? What does Nicodemus point us to? Hey, can we take a minute? and remember his words and his works. Nicodemus has been growing. Nicodemus' wheels are turning. Nicodemus' curious faith is a reminder for us today, whether we've been at this for a long time, or whether this is brand new to us, to not settle for broken wells and cisterns, but to receive living water. And in their reaction, they dismiss at least two prophets from Galilee, who I will mention. One is Jonah. 
who's three days in the belly of the fish point us to resurrection and living water. The words of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2, which give us a very clear, beautiful picture of the work of the Messiah when Hosea says, after two days he will revive us, on the third day he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. The very people that they're rejecting are the very ones pointing us to the hope of living water. This morning, may we come back to the words of John 7. May we come thirsty, receiving the beauty of of anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow out of them, will flow from within them. As we close our time proclaiming God's word together, it's the reminder that the things that we're doing, we have living water to quench us in our thirst. Um, May you not be moderate today in your engagement and exploration. Um, May you look to the words and the works of Jesus like our friend Nicodemus, and may you receive the quenching of your thirst wherever you are today. Love to pray for you as we can then continue to respond to God's word together. God, um, thank you that uh, you are living water. God, here in this passage, you disrupt to announce your identity as the Messiah. God, that disrupts something in our life today. It disrupts our expectations. It disrupts perhaps our cynicism. It disrupts the idea that we need to cling to guilt or shame. Would you help us to receive living water this morning? Would you help it to cleanse? Would you help it to erode the things that aren't part of what you want to do in our story today? Thank you that we don't worship at the monument of a dead, empty well. In Jesus' name, amen.